And if you would be so great as to grab your copy uh, of God's Word or open up the app or what have you and uh, get it turned open to uh, Mark chapter 12, all right, Mark chapter 12. And as you're doing that, um, I think it's probably safe to say that we love uh, a good showdown of sorts. I think we really do. A battle of, you know, who's better, you know, what's best. Okay, we got a couple of uh, pictures up here that we're going to show you that kind of highlight this. Uh, you remember, remember these commercials or these taste test challenges that you would do and a lot of people would go in and be like, I like Coke better and then realize through the blindfold test that, hey, maybe I like uh, Pepsi better. And so we've seen that over the years. How about the, the next one here? Remember these, these are, these are old commercials as well. The, uh, the Mac uh, versus uh, PC and of course, uh, Mac always wins. Um, if you are a PC fan, you are truly lost. All right, let's go to uh, let's go to the next one here. So this is the uh, the Matthews versus McDavid. Even as a even as a Leaf fan, I think I have to give the nod to McDavid on that one. And he's a he's a Newmarket guy, so I think I can live with that. Um, but I think we have do we have one more? We got one more here. Yeah, we got we got Ford versus Chevy. Now, when I shared this at uh, at our church, uh, we have a lot of people from Keswick uh, in our church. And so as you can imagine, this almost tore us in half. <laughs> One guy yelled out, like, angrily, Ford! And everyone kind of went silent, which was hilarious slash, I don't know, concerning, I guess. Uh, but listen, hey, even with these, these kinds of showdowns uh, that we've seen here, you know, most of us, most of you are thinking, yeah, no contest, right? You, know, you kind of naturally, instinctively land on one or the other in terms of just maybe it's your personal preference uh, or maybe for you it's, I don't know, it's verifiable data. Uh, you prefer one over the other. Well, Mark chapter 12 uh, presents us with a, a showdown of rather epic proportions, I think. See, the Jewish re- uh, religious leaders of that day had been trying, kind of all through the first 11 chapters, they had been trying to trap and and trick Jesus at every turn. All right, and it started off, of course, you know, kind of subtle and, you know, just asking questions, and it seems like we're all getting along here, but of course, as it went on and on, the, the kind of the the reviling started to become more and more obvious and the disdain that they had for Christ uh, just started to come out of them. And here in chapter 12, uh, it really all comes uh, to a head, all right? They take their, you know, one, you know, sort of final shot at him. Uh, but here's the thing, okay, Jesus, he pushes back. He, he's not just going to kind of lay down and let them run roughshod over him. No, he, he confronts and exposes uh, the ugly roots of their pride that had kept them from truly knowing God. And, and on top of that, it was, it was their pride that had actually led the entire nation of Israel uh, away from the Lord. And just as Christ goes after the pride of these, these religious leaders, uh, he'll go after ours as well. Have you noticed that in your own life, in your own walk with him? And so really the question comes to us here today. I think the, the right question to ask is, as we think about all of this is, will we let him, right? Will we let him win? Okay, or, or are we, are, are we going to fight back, right? Are we going to, you know, kind of dig our heels in here and, and get kind of entrenched in our position, the, the various ways that our pride rears its ugly head and, and fight back against the Lord? Because can I say this? It might sound fairly obvious, but I'll say it anyways. Not a good plan, right? Not at all. Because as we'll see here this morning, in a showdown with my pride, Uh, Jesus wins. All right, so we're going to look at this here today, but first of all, I invite you to pray with me, and then we'll start to unpack uh, these verses here in this chapter. Join me as we pray. Lord, we come before you uh, here this morning, and Lord, we know that uh, we are uh, a sinful people uh, in need of our great God. 
And so, Lord, I pray that as we uh, gather ourselves before your word and as we open it and as we work our way through these verses here, Lord, I pray that you would expose the, uh, the ugly pride that is in our hearts, Lord. Maybe, it has been, uh, maybe it's been hidden. Uh, maybe it's, it's not. Maybe it's, it's leaking out of us or maybe it's, it's painfully obvious and it's one of those things that all kinds of people around us can see it, but, but perhaps we don't. And so, Lord, I pray that today, in your loving kindness, you would expose these things. Lord, I pray that uh, you would not let us off the mat. Lord, I pray that you would uh, bring us to the pr- uh, place of, uh, of greater repentance. Lord, where we would seek your Holy Spirit to, to be our strength, to overcome our areas of pride. Lord, I pray that you would, in fact, win this showdown here this morning uh, in each of us. We pray all these things in Christ's powerful name. Amen. Amen. Well, in a showdown with my pride, Jesus wins. Here's the first thing here this morning, if you're following along in your notes. Okay, even when it seems like I've won, I've actually lost. All right, so let's go through this here. And yes, we are going through this entire chapter. It's a pretty long chapter, but uh, I believe, okay, I have faith that we can make it all the way through this here. So let's go, starting in verse one, it says this. It says, and he began to speak to them. Now, you might be thinking, who's, who's the them? Okay, well, the them is, you know, it's, it's the religious leaders, Okay, uh, back just even in chapter 11 here, in the few verses uh, before the ones we're looking at here today, they had just questioned uh, his authority. He's like, by, by which authority, by whose authority do you, do you say these things? And so uh, he started to push back even there, and then it's like basically gloves off here in chapter 12. So it says he began to speak to them in parables. Now, just by way of reminder, I know many of you would know this, but a parable is, is a simple story uh, to illustrate a, a spiritual truth or a lesson. Okay, so it was designed actually kind of two ways here. It was designed to uh, allow the, 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 the self-heart or the soft-hearted uh, gain greater understanding. Okay, but on the other side of that, and it's amazing how the Lord in his sovereignty would use parables. He would use it so that the, the, the hard-hearted, it would actually keep them from understanding. All right, and so here's what Jesus says in this parable. He says, a man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower. And he leased it to tenants or managers and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son, Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. Now, what is Jesus doing by, by sharing this, this parable? All right, well, he, well, he's essentially, you know, telling the history of of Israel's pride. Okay, the vineyard was a way that God had referred to his people, the Jews. We actually see that in Isaiah chapter 5. He calls them the vineyard. Okay, so, so as, as the man in this parable planted the vineyard, so had God chosen Israel to be his people. As the man had put, you know, tenants and, and managers in place as overseers, so what God placed, you know, priests and judges and, and kings to be leaders over Israel. As the man had, had sent servants to the vineyard who were, you know, beaten and, and, and tortured and killed by the, by the tenants. So had God sent prophets who suffered similar fates. Okay, all of that is their history. All of that is their past. And they would have been, you know, well aware of that. 
Okay, then Jesus goes on to explain here in this parable really what's, what's happening now, right? In their current situation uh, that they found him, uh, themselves in and, and what would happen in the very near future. Okay, as the, as the vineyard owner had sent his beloved son to the tenants and they treated him shamefully and they killed him in an attempt to gain control and power uh, over the vineyard. Okay, you know where this is going, right? So God was sending his son who would be treated shamefully and, of course, killed. Okay, so Jesus, he's, he's sharing this with the crowd here and with the religious leaders of, as a way of foreshadowing what, what we would know. I mean, we're reading this years, years later, right? And we would know that this would happen very soon, right? Jesus would be led away and he would be crucified. Okay, so if you think about it, though, here for, for a second, for, from one angle, you know, the pride of Israel and the pride of her leaders really, uh, I don't know, seems to win, right? Seems to win this, this showdown with God, right? They, they kill Christ, right? And, and so temporarily, everything seemed uh, very very bleak. And of course, you know, that's what we tend to focus on and think about uh, on Good Friday, for example, and just the, the heaviness of all of that. Okay, but notice in the text here what he says next in, uh, in verse 9. He says, what will the owner of the vineyard do? Well, he will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Meaning, listen, there will be judgments, right? Judgment is coming. Their pride, their, their sin, that, that, that's going to be dealt with, right? That will be crushed. And it says that he'll give the vineyard to others, meaning that, you know, salvation will be offered to the Gentiles if, if, if Israel's going to uh, reject it, if they won't accept it. Okay, so even though you know, optically there, uh, for a moment, it seemed like pride had won, right? You know, Jesus died. He, you know, lost, quote unquote, right? We know that it wasn't actually over, right? God would conquer sin. God would conquer pride, right? His plan to say that that's not going to be stopped because, you know, of the evil acts of, of a few, in fact, this was actually all happening according to God's plan. Take a look at verse 10. It says, have you not read this scripture? Okay, and in this here, he refers to Psalm 118. He says, the stone, that's Jesus, the stone that the builders, the, the religious leaders, the stone that the builders rejected has become the, the cornerstone. Uh, meaning the, the foundation of the, of the messianic kingdom. That's Jesus. And he's the foundation for salvation for all people. It says there that this was the, the Lord's doing. Right? And, and it was marvelous in our eyes. Okay, so through this, this parable here, you know, Jesus is saying, listen, your, your pride is has blinded you. And it kind of looks like you're getting the upper hand here. And, you know, and you keep coming after me. And, and I, I know what you're about to do here. I know where this is all going in, in the coming days. But listen, this is actually all falling into place exactly as my father drew it up in the very beginning. Okay, but note their response. Okay, rather than, you know, having soft hearts and, 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 and recognizing and, and seeing what, what Jesus was saying there, rather than, than falling before him in, in brokenness and repentance, here's what it says in verse 12. It says, and they were seeking to arrest him, but they feared the people, and I love this, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. Right? They, they, they heard it, and, and they can't quite put it all together because, again, they're they're hard hearts and they're like, I, I kind of think we come out not looking so good here in what Jesus just said, right? But they can't quite see it. And so it says there that they left him and went away. Now, the, the point here for, for you and I, as, as we read this and as we look at this, it isn't exactly to, you know, to rip on Israel and, and the religious leaders there, but of course, to look at who? Right? Ourselves, right? To look at ourselves here. You know, what are the 
What are the areas of, of pride that are, you know, in, you know, in my heart, that are in your heart, that, you know, are, are maybe oozing out of you in terms of, of your behavior and your actions that are really, in, in many ways, just, just another, sh- another version of a, of a showdown between you and God, right? Maybe for you, it's an area of pride that, you know, the Lord has been pointing out, maybe just even in the last few minutes uh, that we've been going through these verses. Perhaps it's something that God's been kind of, you know, poking you at a little bit over the last week or, or, or maybe it's been months or maybe it's something that you've, you know, known about and been aware of and you've sensed that, you know, this needs to get dealt with between me and the Lord. But this, is, this has been going on for, uh, for years and perhaps you've gotten to the point where, you know, you, you, you've hardened your heart about this and, and, and you, you've pushed God away and, and I don't want to listen to you anymore and I would way rather just kind of do my own thing and you've even rationalized it and, and justified it in your own mind where you, you kind of see it as not that big of a deal. And I've got other areas that are a little more easy and, and comfortable for me to just confess to the Lord. But these ones I'm going to hold on to because it's a little scary and, and, I, and I don't know what to do. And I'm not sure if I trust the Lord quite enough in all of this. And you've, in so doing, you've, you've convinced yourself that, that you're right for doing what you're doing. And, 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 and maybe even that you've you're winning this showdown. See, the thing is, though, our pride is, it's a sneaky thing, isn't it? And, it, and it's a very slippery slope to a place that is not good. It's, it's so deceptive. We're so easily deceived through all of it. We become so fooled and, and so calloused even towards it and, and towards the Lord, which again, you know, can bring us to the place where we think that we actually know what is best and how, you know, what I'm doing and how I'm living and how I think it's good and right and correct. And again, it feels like I'm kind of winning this battle against the Lord. But of course, when we're entrenched in, in pride, we never win, right? Never. It's only and ever a loss. Now you might be thinking, well, how so, man? Like, like how exactly, you know, do we lose or, you know, or, or, or maybe more specifically, what kinds of things do we lose when we give into pride? We're going to have uh, four of these things up on the screen here, four things we lose or four things that we forfeit uh, when we give into pride. Here's the first one. It's just intimacy with God. We lose intimacy with him. Take a look at what James 4 verse 8 says. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Okay, we have to understand and recognize and believe that you, you cannot hold on to pride, all right? And at the same time, hold on to an intimate relationship with God. Right, try as we might. I mean, we are all in some ways, we, we want our cake and to eat it too, don't we? We, we want to be able to do what we want to do. I want my way. But at the same time, we also know that, you know, to some degree anyways, I also want the Lord and, and, I, and I want to be close to him. And, and so we try and it's exhausting and, and it's not good. Like it, it's, it's, it's brutal, right? We try to hold on to both of these things. But in so doing, we lose that, that closeness with him, that, that intimacy with him. What else do we lose? Second thing, intimacy with the church. We certainly lose that in our relationships with, with other believers. I love Acts chapter 2. It says, all who believed were together. Right? There was great unity there was great intimacy in the church in those early days as they rallied around the Lord and they were humbling themselves and they had all things in common. Of course, we kind of know this, but we need to hear it again, that, that pride, pride places us on the throne where, where we, we begin to just naturally think from our flesh that, that others exist to serve me and, and, and my wants and my desires as opposed to the opposite. I exist to serve them. And when pride is, is ruling the roost in our hearts, our relationships will just never be what they could be and, and should be. You know, sure, some, some surface things, you know, might, 
might seem okay. And it seems like we, you know, really get along and a lot of that, but is it, are our relationships as, as deep and as, as great as the Lord would have them be? And the third thing we lose and we give into pride, how about this, soul, soul level satisfaction, deep Real satisfaction, joy in the Lord. Psalm 107.9 says, for he satisfies the longing soul. How awesome is that, right? And the hungry soul, he fills with good things. Something we need to be reminded of here this morning is that when we give in to pride, there, there's a, there, there is some kind of pleasure about that, right? That comes with that. If there wasn't, we would, we would never give in to pride. But we, 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 we love kind of the satisfaction of, of the flesh when we, we give into sinful pursuits and allow pride to rule here. And we need to be reminded that pride always, eventually, ultimately, at some point, turns to misery. It always does. It's always a, a bitter pill that we swallow. All right, so we lose intimacy with God, with the church. We lose soul, satisf- uh, soul level satisfaction, last thing. We lose mission success. Mission success. First Peter 2 verse 9 says, but, for you, uh, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay, we're, we're, we're called to proclaim Christ. We're called to share the gospel and, and evangelize and be a strong witness of, of the gospel and what Christ has done for us. We're, we're called to make disciples. We're, we're, this is the mission that God has called us to. It's not easy, but it is simple, right? We, we know what we're supposed to do. And, and so many of us, when we give in to pride, we naturally, we, we don't think about those things anymore. We don't care about those things because we don't care about others, and so we become, again, self-focused and inward-focused, and the mission just dies, right? And, and we just become kind of this, you know, big, fat, lazy, comfy church. That's not what God would have us be, right? It's not, we're not supposed to have making disciples just the slow and slow to a crawl or, or, or grind to a halt. Okay, here's the thing, though, when it comes to you know, all four of these examples here, these things that we lose and we give into pride, so many of us just flat out, we don't care. I, I, I'm perfectly content. If we're being honest, we're perfectly content losing some of these things, if not all of them. You know, we're, you know, we're like, I, I, I want some Jesus in my life, but I'm okay if I don't have intimacy with him. Right? I, I want to go to a church. I want to go to, you know, some of us want to go to a small church. Some of us want to go to a large church. But I don't really want to know people. And, and certainly I don't really want them to know me. And I, I, I don't want to confess my sin to anybody. And I don't want to be held accountable for anything. And I don't want real intimacy that comes with all of that. I want, again, surface level stuff. So many of us are, are, are just fine sacrificing soul level, deep satisfaction and, and contentment in the Lord when we can be so distracted by other worldly things that please the flesh. We're so easily satisfied. And of course, many of us could care less about the mission. And we would rather just kind of live out our days comfortable and have an easy life instead of sacrifice for the Lord and go after uh, other people who are lost and are dying and have hell as the eternity waiting for them. We're like, nah, I'm okay uh, by not going after that. To gain these things though, of course, it's, it's about allowing the Lord to have the, you know, the upper hand with our pride. Right? It's confessing these things and inviting him into that mess and allowing him to do whatever it takes to, to, you know, to, to, to rid us of that pride and that sin and create humility in our hearts. Listen, f- learn to fight that lie that, that you somehow win when you give in to pride. You don't. You only lose. Here's the second thing. In a showdown with my pride, Jesus wins by dismantling my hypocrisy, arrogance, and self-righteousness. Now watch here in these verses as the Lord uh, puts on an absolute clinic uh, when it comes to dismantling 
uh, taking these guys apart, right? This is the long-awaited showdown that, again, had been brewing for a long time in, in Christ's earthly ministry here, and it's a showdown with with the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is the, you know, the religious council made up of you know, Pharisees and Sadducees primarily and, and scribes as well. And we'll explain those a little bit as we go here. But take a look at verse 13. Okay, it says, And they sent to him some of the Pharisees. Okay, they were the first ones up. Okay, the Pharisees were like the religious progressives of their day. So they sent some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. Now, the Herodians were, were a political party who wanted Herod as ruler. Now, the Herodians and the Pharisees typically, uh, they weren't friends, right? They didn't get along, but it was one of those, you know, enemy of my enemy is my friend type of situation. And so they band together and they go after the Lord Jesus here. It says, keep going. It says, and they said to, uh, came and said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Right, can you sense my tone there? That they're maybe like, they're blowing smoke, right? They're, they're just buttering him up here. This is, this is a complete insincere um, flattery. And then they ask him this question. They say, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? You know, the intent of this question here is to force Jesus into a trap. Right into a lose-lose uh, situation where if he's uh, pro-taxation, he's like, yeah, you got to pay your taxes. They're hoping that he'll then lose the support of the people that loved him, the great crowds that would gather to hear from them. Because those people would have felt, you know, we're, we're always being oppressed by, you know, the Roman authorities. And so how could you possibly take their side against us? So the, the, the Pharisees and the Herodians, they'd be perfectly happy if he, if he gave them that answer. All right. And if he, if he gave the opposite answer, that he's anti-taxation, and no, you shouldn't give taxes, they would love that as well. Because it would mean that, they would, that he would have the Roman authorities on his tail. And so they think they've forced him into this impossible answer here. But, verse 15 says, knowing their hypocrisy, okay, which is of course a form of pride, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius. And so a denarius was uh, a day's wage. And he said, and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. So Caesar's picture was on it. And Jesus said to, that, said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Okay, which shows what? That he's not anti-government. Okay. Render the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him, it says. Now you notice there that they marveled, okay, but, it, but they were not humbled, right? That would have been the, 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 the true response. See, the, the reason why is that they missed the entire point that Jesus uh, was making, all right? The coin, it bared, you know, Caesar's image. So, so give to him uh, what is his, okay? And who bears God's image, Okay, they do, meaning humble yourself and, and render to God the things that are God's, right? Yourselves, give him your, your hearts, right? Stop, stop resisting him through your pride and your hypocrisy, pretending that you're so close to God, pretending that you're following God so perfectly when you're really not, right? Masterful how Jesus handles that. Now keep going here, verse 18. It says, and Sadducees, so they're the next ones up, they came to him, and the Sadducees were like the religious conservatives of their day. So the Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. That's going to come up again. And they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us, and they're referring to Genesis 38 and Deuteronomy chapter 25. Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Okay, this was a custom. This was a law known as, as leveret marriage. Okay, and the intention of this, this law that we see in the Old Testament that Moses talked about was, 
was to care for the widow so that she wouldn't be, you know, out in the cold and, and have no money to take care of herself. The, the brother-in-law, he, he, he would take her as his wife and, and carry on the brother's family line. Okay, now verse 20. This is what they say. They say there were seven brothers. Okay, so it's about to get complicated. <laughs> right? The first took a wife, and when she died, or when he died, left no offspring. The second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third, likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, remember I said that would come up again, in, in, in heaven, Okay, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? Right? For the seven had her as wife. All right, so what are they doing here? They're, they're, they're trying to confound Jesus again. This is another trick. It's another, it's another trap. I, they were trying to present him with the difficulty of, uh, of trying to decide here, you know, which of the seven men she would be married to in heaven. Okay, and this was to prove that, you know, their belief that the afterlife, the resurrection, heaven was a bunch of, of nonsense, right? That's again what they believe. But watch, okay, he, he dismantles their flawed logic. Look at verse 24. Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are wrong? <laughs> because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Okay, pretty direct. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Hey, what's he saying? Well, he's basically referring to how heaven is a completely new and, and different reality uh, for those of faith. Hey, you, you can't say that just because there are some important you know, laws around marriage here on earth that they all apply in the exact same way in heaven. Right? Marriage doesn't even exist in heaven. And here's what he says in verse 26. He says, and as for the dead being raised, so he's going after what the real issue is here. He's like, have you not read the book of Moses? Okay, the thing that's so kind of savage about that comment is that Sadducees had not only read this probably hundreds, if not thousands of times, they claimed and thought of themselves as, as experts in the books of Moses. And so they would have been really like rubbed the wrong way by this. What do you mean have we not read it? Right? We're, you know, we're the, we're, we're pros in all of this. Right? We're, we, we've, we've got it locked down. And here's what he says. If you're not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, okay, so he's referring to Exodus chapter three, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He says, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, you are quite wrong. Okay, so it's to say, Jesus is saying that, that God is currently the God of these men, right? The, the, these men that had long since died. Okay, so he wasn't just God of them when they were, when they were living, when they were alive on earth, but, but right now it says in the Old Testament, while these men are where? In heaven. Right? In other words, the, the resurrection, it's not a false concept. It's not nonsense. It's, it's a reality and actually taught in the very scriptures that you profess to know inside and out. This is what Jesus is saying to them. Right? They tried to ambush him and, and expose what they thought was the false doctrine of the resurrection. But once again, Jesus reveals the pride oozing out of them in the form of their arrogance. Right? You were arrogant men. You don't, you don't know the scriptures. Right? You, you, you go up against the Lord in your pride, whatever form that comes out, and you're going to win that fight? No, we're going to lose. We're going to get dismantled. Now, verse 28, he's not done. It says this, and one of the scribes, and the scribes are like legal experts. They knew the law inside and out. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked them, he asked him, Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Now, just kind of, Put yourself at the scene here for a second. Imagine, 
Imagine being there as, you know, part of the crowd and you're watching all of this go down and this, you know, debate has just happened and, you, you, you know, you see the, 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 the Sadducee and you see the, you know, you see the Herodian and, and you see the Pharisee kind of, you know, get taken to task here. And then you see this like poor sucker, right? This, this scribe come up and he's kind of like rookies and he's like, I'm going to go talk to Jesus. When do you kind of be there? Kind of be like, buddy, don't do it, right? This is not, this is not going to go well for you. Did you not just see what happened? But actually, in this case, uh, the scribe is, is genuinely asking a question, which I think for us is just a great reminder that not every single one of these guys were just these arrogant, pompous, blowhard know-it-alls, right? Some of them did show a softness to Christ, right? I think we think about, you know, Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee and he, he legitimately wanted to know what it meant to be born again. And we know that Joseph of, of Arimathea, who, who took the, you know, Jesus' body and pro- provided the tomb uh, for him, right? he, was, he was on the religious council as well. And it also says that he was a disciple. Right? Again, good for us to understand and, and not just be too general here and, and, and too blanketed in our, in our take on, on where every single person was. Now take a look at verse 29. Jesus answered him and he said, the most important is hero Israel. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all of your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other, uh, no greater, no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe send, said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one. There is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Right? So this man here, he, he gets it far better than uh, the others did. But if you notice that there, he, he's still yet to recognize uh, that Jesus is Lord, right? He, he's not far off yet, but, but he's still not quite there. Meaning that there's still, for him, even though he's more humble than the others, there's still some, some self-righteous pride keeping him from Christ. And it says there, and after that, no one dared to ask him, any more questions? Yeah, I guess so. Now, verse 35, it says, And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ, the Messiah, uh, is the son of David? As in, you know, why did the scribes say that, that the Messiah is merely a physical descendant uh, of David? And he goes on, he says, David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And then Jesus says, David himself calls him, that's the Messiah, Lord. Okay, so how is he his son or, or merely his son? And the great throng, it says, heard him gladly. Okay, this is to say that the Messiah is the Lord of David, not just his physical descendant. His relative, right? And God had, has given the Messiah a position of, of honor at the, at the right hand to overcome his, his enemies here, which, which Jesus is doing here in this, you know, in this very chapter, again, in the utter dismantling of, of the Sanhedrin's pride, right? They, they just leave like licking their wounds and, and, and kind of limping off. But of course, let's recognize that the scribe who shows a uh, you know, a genuine desire to know and to understand, he's dealt with far less severely than the others. Which I think as we're, we're looking at that, it should, it should really help us understand and, and, and motivate us to bring all of our pride, right? right? Whether it's, it's the hypocrisy that, that is in our hearts and in our lives, you know, all, all the different ways that, that you and I, you know, claim to be Christians and think of ourselves as Christians and understand that we are Christians and yet tend to look just like the rest of the world and act just like the world. That's hypocrisy. We should be motivated to bring that or, or our arrogance, all of that, that overbearing demeanor, right? That, that, that self-assuredness, 
where, where we think we're, I'm fine on my own. You know, that maybe it's that judgmentalism towards other people, Christians or otherwise. Maybe it's, a, it's an inflated sense of your own self-importance. Bring all of that, that arrogance, that, that self-righteousness though. Thinking, thinking that we're, we're morally better than other people around us. You look down on people who are around you. Maybe you, you see yourself as, as, as more holy than you really are. And you give yourself far too much credit for that. Right? Self-righteousness is really just failing to see you know, our sin for, for what it really is. Right? We should be motivated to bring, to bring all of it, right? of our own volition, and just, just bring this before the Lord. Right? Bring this to the foot of, of Christ so that he can forgive us and so that he can begin the work of, of transforming us and, and, and changing our, our hearts. Right? Better that than, than having him dismantle it. Right in in a disciplinary type way. You ever gone through that before? Right, my hands up. Right, that that that's way uglier. That that that's way more 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 painful. But listen, some of us, some of us have gone down that road, and it seems like we need to learn that way. And we've felt the heavy hand of our God on our lives. Listen, remember here today. This is this is a showdown that you can't. You can't hope to win. Never. Final thing here. In a showdown with my pride, Jesus wins, enabling me to truly surrender my all to him. Check out verse 38 with me. It says this, and in his teaching, Jesus said, beware of the scribes. Okay, so he's speaking generally. Again, we know that not all of them were in this boat, but He says, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, sounds comfy, right? And like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation, he says. Okay, so he uses the uh, the scribes here as, as, as an example of how their pride causes them really to just be more and more self-centered, right? They, they wear this, you know, super ornate clothing to, to, to get the attention and, and, and to get the praise of man aimed towards them. They, they, they want to stand out. They want to be above other people. They love to be fawned over. They love to have the, you know, the seat of honor. They're harsh and they're demanding of, of other people. They they pray these, these showy, long prayers, not, not to extol God and, and speak of his greatness, but to make other people think like, wow, look how, look how spiritually mature and that guy is. Right? There's no humble surrender to God. For them, again, it's, you know, look at me. Look how important I am. And Jesus says that they'll be condemned for it. But then, in verse 41, it says this, And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people came and put in large sums. And the poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him. He gathers them around and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. Hey, Jesus' point here is that this, this woman in, in, in her poor state, in her poverty, she's the one who, who displays true surrender. Right? She's the one. Right, the scribes, again, they, they weren't interested in this at all. We already know that out of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The, the scribes specifically, they were, they were just about personal advancement. Right? Again, it was, it was just pride. That's what it is. But this woman, in her, we see this, this amazing, radical act of, of humility and, and surrender. Right? In faith, she just gives you know, absolutely everything to her God. It's this incredible act of, of, of generosity. And, and in so doing, really what she's saying is, is God, everything I have is yours. My, my life is yours, right? I, myself, 
am yours. You have my heart. You have my everything. I'm not holding anything back from you. Right? And this, of course, is the act that Christ makes much of. Right? Such an amazingly stark contrast to the, to the pride of, of this religious council. Now listen, I, under, I, I can only imagine here that, that some of us here today, we, we, we want this for ourselves deep down. Right, right. There's something in your ear, even as we've been going through the word here this morning, that, that that's, that's it's being you know, unearthed. Right, that there's a desire that's in you where you're like, man, I, I want to be like that. Right, I I, I want to be in the place that this that this woman is is in, and and there's this there, there's this desire for that. But if you're honest, there's there's also a war that you're entrenched in right now, because because you're still like I still, I still want to hold on to to what I want too. And so it's, it's this battle that's, that's raging inside of you and you're fighting it. And you're, and you're like, I, I, again, I want both. Right? And there's this internal siege that's going on. Listen, church. I would urge us here this morning, I would, I would challenge and encourage us that, that it's really the gospel that enables us. It's the gospel that, that motivates you and I to, to truly surrender our all to the lordship of Jesus Christ. I mean, just think about your, your own salvation here for just a moment. You know, think back to, you know, where you were. Maybe for you it was years ago. Maybe it was, you know, recently. And think back to kind of where your life was at and how the Lord was, was pricking your conscience and, and, and letting you know that, listen, you're, you're broken. You, you, you're lost. You've got sin in your life that, that so badly needs a Savior. But, 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 but I love you. And, and think about the time that you realized exactly for the first time what Jesus Christ has done for you. How, how in the love of God, he went and he, he bore your sin. He bore your shame on the cross. And in that, in that moment, the wrath of God was poured out on him. And, and the wrath of God was satisfied in, in the punishment of Jesus, his one and only son. And, and that was so that you wouldn't have to receive that. I mean, just think about that and, and, and where you were at. If, you, if, if you've never... If you've never thought about that, maybe today, right now, it's the first time you're even hearing that. Understand that that is exactly what happened and that was for you. That Christ went to the cross and it was, it was so that your sins can be forgiven, so that you could trust him by faith, that you could trust that what Jesus did on the cross, that was for you. And if you would just humble yourself and recognize that all the sin that, you, that you've ever done, ever, in your entire life, ultimately, that is against your creator. That is against your maker. And because of that, you're deserving of punishment because God is a just and holy God. He has to punish sin. And so the choice that the gospel presents us with is, will I choose Jesus? Will I choose to confess my sin to him? Will I choose to repent and turn away from my sin? Will I choose to leave my sin there at the cross, knowing that it's been punished once and for all, and that, that through trusting Christ, through repenting and apologizing of my sin, I can be forgiven. And, and in that moment, the Holy Spirit pours himself into my life and becomes my strength now to live for God for the rest of my life. For each of us here, whether you've never done that and you need to do that today, let me just again encourage you and urge you to do that. Talk to one of the leaders here. Come talk to me after the service. We would love to walk you through that and answer any questions that you might have about what it means to know God and be forgiven. The rest of us, maybe we've done that years ago, but it's that same truth that reminds us again of what has been done for us and, and begins to soften our heart once again and, and helps us realize that we're not all that and what I want is not what's most important. What Christ wants is what's important. And he wants you. He wants your heart. Confess your sin. Surrender that pride that's provoking this showdown with the Lord. 
Again, the question that I asked at the very beginning of our time here together today was, will you let him win that? Listen, I'm going to invite Joel and the worship team up here uh, once more, and they are going to play a song that is uh, new to us here this morning. And really what we have right now is an opportunity, an opportunity to uh, do some business with the Lord, to get our hearts right, to really kind of think through and, and prayerfully surrender and give over the scene in our hearts, to invite the Lordship of Jesus Christ to, to, to once again, for him to have his way and, and for him to, to forgive and, and to give us new strength and, and new joy in him, that he can make us right, that he can transform us. And so as the team plays, just where you're at in your seats, You can think about these words. You can focus on the words on the screen, but just quietly where you are, spend some time getting right with the Lord as the team sings. Let's pray. Lord, we once again come before you knowing that, reminded that you are good and that you are God. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness for that pride that we've let and allowed to rule the roost for far too long, the pride that has blinded us, the pride that has harmed our relationship with you and with others. Lord, forgive us for settling for something that's way less, settling for something that's good, but it's not God, settling for things that are outright sinful. God, would you continue to move and work and stir us by your Holy Spirit to get right. I pray that no one would leave here today without finding new hope, new joy, new strength in our Savior. Lord, do this work, we plead, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.